0: The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. Custom software needs vary significantly. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. Harnessing the technical excellence of Bulgaria, MentorMate provides end-to-end software services in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer world-class care through technology. Learn more at MentorMate.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you again for joining us on the Medical Alley podcast. We've got a fantastic discussion coming up today with one of the newest members of the association and an organization that has both a rich history in the community, but also a lot of innovation and a lot of work to change the future of healthcare. I'm very pleased to be joined by Children's Minnesota's CEO, Dr. Mark Gorlick. Uh, Mark, if you would, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Frank? I'm very well. I'm very well. I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to have a little bit of a discussion. The the place I want to start is kind of the unfortunately the moment we're in as we're recording this on the twenty-third of November, just before Thanksgiving. The pandemic seems to have picked up again. We're seeing cases surge. Something we don't seem to talk as much about though is its impact on children. So I'm wondering if you could just give us a sense. What does this pandemic meant? For children, what does it meant for Children's Minnesota and the health system?
1: Sure. You know, it is. we haven't really talked about that much, the impact on children, um, because the impact has been uh, different than in adults, although many of the impacts are the same. We've certainly had the direct impact of COVID on kids. Kids do get COVID. They're an increasing percentage of the cases because more and more adults are getting vaccinated. Certainly, kids are less likely to get sick enough to end up in the hospital, so that's good, but we have had COVID patients in our hospitals. Um, that's a direct impact of the pandemic. We've seen some of the other uh, direct impacts, such as gearing up to give the vaccine to lots of kids now that it's available for kids five and up. And some of the same direct impacts other health systems have seen, like increased supply costs due to the supply chain issues we're all facing. But I think a lot of the impact has been uh, more indirect. Things that have really been brewing for some time uh, that COVID, I wouldn't say caused, but really acted as a catalyst and accelerated And I think, you know, I'll think of three examples. One is the rapid adoption of virtual care, various forms of that. Something we've had in the works for years, pretty slow adoption, particularly on the pediatric side. We went from zero to 60 on that early in the pandemic. We've been talking about looming staffing challenges for a couple of decades now, nurses, physicians, therapists, other specialists. Again, COVID has not caused that, but it certainly has accelerated that and put us into our current crisis. And then the, the last thing is something that's also been an unfortunate trend that's been brewing for kids for some time is uh, what we've seen is a gradual and now much sharper increase in mental health issues for kids. Again, I think combination of a lot of factors, but certainly catalyzed by the COVID pandemic.
0: Well, I think we'll want to come back to the mental health piece in a moment, yeah. but maybe to start, um, you mentioned telehealth, you mentioned the staffing shortage, something we're hearing a lot In our conversations with members is that the the pandemic accelerated changes that were happening but were happening slowly i've been curious about the other way of do you have any concern of backsliding or of whenever we get out of this or whatever that means when it's in an endemic or a new normal or whatever phrase you want to use do you think is telehealth here to stay is it now part of your business and of your care Or do we go back to majority in-person care?
1: No, I think that genie's out of the bottle and it's not going back in. We have talked about this for some time and some of the barriers were cultural barriers. We didn't know if patients would like it. We didn't know if physicians would like it. Some of them were regulatory or uh, reimbursement barriers. All of a sudden, March of 2020, we had no choice and those barriers went away. We went from 70 telehealth visits in the month of February, 2020, for our whole system to 6,000 in the month of April. Now we've settled back a little bit because frankly, some of those visits probably weren't most appropriate for telehealth, but we are still doing three or 4,000 visits a month. It is clearly a part of care. It turns out patients and families do like it for many types of visits. Physicians do like it for many types of visits. And so I do think it is gonna be part of the landscape going forward. And now it's a question of figuring out what is the exact role for it? How do we optimize it? and, uh, and how do we make sure that we don't let any of those regulatory or reimbursement or other barriers get back in the way of what clearly has been a very successful, I think, uh, adaptation and innovation that happened in a very short period of time?
0: Indeed. And um, music to my ears. I think that is something we as a community, we as a healthcare community in Minnesota, should take this opportunity to make sure there isn't the backsliding, that the regulatory and the reimbursement issues are resolved in an appropriate way, because I'm with you when I put on my patient hat. There are times when I should go in and see my doctor, and there are other times where the telemedicine visit has been fantastic, and I think we're both happier at the end of it. Absolutely. You mentioned the mental health uh, issues and just, uh, it seems, the rapid rise of them, and you described it as maybe always there, but the pandemic really accelerated or brought to the fore. Could you give us just a a little bit of a perspective or a picture, like, what are you seeing as far as children's mental health conditions in the wake of the pandemic?
1: We have seen, and and our peers across the country have seen, a, a really sharp increase in Mental health issues for kids, but especially kids who are coming in in mental health crisis. So we have seen a 30, over 30% increase in emergency department visits for acute mental health crisis, acute anxiety, depression, suicide. We've seen a 50% increase in kids needing to be hospitalized for an acute mental health crisis. And just, you know, to put, um, if not faces, at least numbers on that, that's 2,200 ER visits, we will, have, we are projected to have in 2021, uh, and over a thousand hospitalizations. That's, you know, an average of six kids a week, every week being admitted to the hospital. And it's extraordinarily, um, stressful for, yeah. for those families and for those, uh, uh, for the patients and for our staff.
0: Indeed. And it, I mean, I have to imagine with that big of a a spike in people coming in, in crisis, in an already resource constrained environment where we're dealing with the pandemic, that it's, it's a bigger, it would always be a big burden, but it's an even bigger burden. How have you all adapted to that? Or what are you doing? Or are there things that maybe we were not able to do today, but that we as a community really need to address?
1: Yeah, it's really a multifaceted approach. Mm -hmm. We have, Um, always had fairly robust outpatient mental health services in our system. What we've been ramping up then is trying to increase those, including the integration of behavioral mental health into our primary care. So focusing more on the preventive and early identification aspects, but we also have been expanding our capacity to deal with the acute crisis because that's real, it's now, and we have to address it. So earlier this year, we created, we call a partial hospitalization program at our specialty center in Lakeville. Many kids who come to the emergency department are in need of fairly intensive services, but they don't need 24 seven care. They need intensive behavioral health services during the day, but they have a safe place to go at night. And that's a niche that that fills. It was quick to stand up. It filled up almost immediately. And we're already starting to think about where we can potentially put a second one. We've also announced plans. This is a little slower build out, but we will be opening our first inpatient mental health facility uh, in our St. Paul campus. We're hoping to have that open by end of third quarter of 2022. 22 beds will be able to serve about 1,000 kids a year. So a big increase in the resources in this community. Right now, there simply aren't enough resources to serve these kids. Many of our kids wait hours to days for a place to go. Sometimes they're having to travel to far parts of Minnesota or out of state to get the care they need. And so we're really trying to see how we can better serve those kids in crisis right here in the community, um, while at the same time focusing on the need to identify these problems early and and hopefully prevent that crisis from happening in the first place.
0: Well, and there's, I think there'd been a, a bit of a related issue that I'd say Children's Minnesota has taken great leadership on around health disparities and health equity, which I suspect (laughs) plays into some of this crisis uh, and into many other issues. If you talk a bit about the work you're doing in health equity and health disparities, and then I want to come back to, and you've talked about a bunch of different innovations or ways that you're adapting and changing, and I want to kind of tie it into that.
1: I agree that mental health is one example of many of health disparities we have uh, in this community and in this country. Black, Indigenous, LGBTQ youth are two to three times more likely to have a mental health crisis to attempt suicide. But there are many others that we've seen. And you're right. We've been focused on this issue for some time now, really for the last you know, four years or so. We've made issues of equity and, and diversity and inclusion a really important part of our mission. I think there's probably three aspects of it that are important. The first is just awareness and accountability right mm-hmm. we We have now built into our regular reporting to our boards of directors how we are doing on health disparities within our system. So we have health outcomes that we break down by race and we identify those where we have big gaps, and we report on those and we hold ourselves accountable to trying to address those. The second is, we know from research that when the healthcare workforce better reflects the community it mm-hmm. serves, it leads to better outcomes, particularly for those who are disadvantaged, but really better, better outcomes for everybody and fewer, um, you know, closes those inequities. Mm-hmm. So we have put a lot of effort into diversifying our workforce, recruiting and retaining talented people across the entire system, building a much more diverse workforce, including at the leadership level. And then the third aspect of this is about partnerships, right? The the health disparities we see are really a reflection of much broader issues of inequity and structural racism in society. We're not going to fix them all by ourselves. We do have a role to play. And so we have to look at what we can directly aim to improve internally. And how do we work with a variety of partners in the community to address the disparities that are out there?
0: You know, I, I think those three points like well worth repeating for our audience of fundamentals that any organization should look at of good leadership having accountability having metrics building a team that reflects the people you serve and you're right the data on that is fantastic that it's better workforce it's better outcomes it's a good business and a good thing right. and then recognizing that yeah in healthcare you represent one part of what's going on in a person's world, but it's not the entire world, and we cannot fix these issues all by ourselves. So I That's think right. kudos for that, and I appreciate you sharing that perspective. It's a, a discussion our board of directors is having. We know many of our members are having, and they're all trying to understand yeah, what are things they can do that don't feel like, to use the overworn phrase, boiling the ocean and not actually making an impact. Right. And um, I would
1: add that, you know, part of the partnership aspect of that is um, working with the community to identify the issues we need to address.
0: Right on. So you, you talked about at the beginning of that, um, starting some years ago on this. How, how do you think the progress has gone? What have you learned in the last couple of years of doing it? You know, set aside the pandemic, probably put some other things kind of in the light as well. But how's the journey been?
1: I think like most journeys, it's been uh, general forward progress, but not universal forward progress. <laughs> Certainly, you know, in terms of awareness and accountability, absolutely, right? So uh, we currently have uh, regular reporting of of, uh, it, of our efforts and our progress on workforce diversity, on healthcare disparities, um, and those are now built into, for the last three years, they've been built into our leader incentive plans. So mm-hmm. we have made progress in truly holding ourselves accountable. I think we've made very good progress in our workforce diversity. Our our senior executive leadership team is now 30% people of color and 60% women, and as well as the next level of leadership down. Our overall workforce diversity, we've made year-over-year improvements in the last three years, and we have fairly aggressive goals for the next three years. So certainly there's been some progress there. That said, we continue to have really important gaps and important health measures um, that we focus on. And so, uh, you know, our next round of work is then really trying to identify beyond the diversification of our workforce and the development of measures and accountability. What are the interventions that we can do that can help make sure that our black patients with asthma have their asthma as well controlled as our white
0: patients with asthma, for example. Very interesting. And making sure I heard that right you're now at 30% people of color in the leadership team. Correct. Wow. So I think you know, in doing that work, right, there's all kinds of innovations that you're having to find. Some are process, some are practice. But I also know there's been a lot of work within the system on, you know, technological innovations and practice innovations. And, and I'd just be curious, how are you thinking about that work of the health system? And is there a role for Children's Minnesota to either contribute more to, or be more involved in the, the development of new therapies or diagnostics or systems, or h- how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As the only independent pediatric-only health system in Minnesota addressing the comprehensive health needs of kids, we're the kid experts, right? Mm-hmm. And we see it as our duty to leverage that expertise to advance the care of kids through re- research and innovation. Yeah. We are not a traditional academic medical center doing a lot of basic research. Our focus is really on translational research, including multi center trials, interdisciplinary innovations, the kind of things that directly lead to better care for both individual patients and communities. And we have examples of that across what we do. So some of it is more um, traditional, technologically focused. Our Midwest Fetal Care Center is one of the largest sites in what's called the North American Fetal Therapy Network. So these are the group of hospitals that do. Prenatal interventions on, on mothers and, and fetus um, and conducting trials to find better ways of doing that. Um, our cardiovascular program is part of a consortium studying novel cell-based therapies for a severe congenital heart disease called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Um, we're home to two international pediatric tumor registries. But we've also done some other innovations. So, for example, we have we've won some international recognition for the innovation in the use of simulation for improving care, um, including addressing issues of promoting uh, more inclusive care and anti-racism work. Mm -hmm. So it's really a broad range of innovations that we see um, around pediatric care, broadly speaking, um, is is core to what we do as the kid experts.
0: I really appreciate how you set that up and how you laid it out. It's the broader than what some of our members might think about around technological innovations that Innovation can be so much more than that and have really incredible impact on patients in need, and in this case, on kids in need. Maybe we'll, we'll close it up. So, Children's recently became a member of the association, which we're so excited to get you all involved. I, I'd be curious, what's your thought process there? What does the system want to accomplish in getting involved in this broader community? You're already plugged in in so many different places in so many different ways. What do you want the Medical Alley community to know about your work and to get engaged in your work on?
1: Yeah. You know, as the kid experts, we're excited to be able to bring that expertise and that pediatric perspective to the collective effort to create the future of healthcare that Medical Alley represents. Mm -hmm. And as the largest provider of pediatric specialty care in the upper Midwest, and one with, as I said, a mission that includes innovation, we're really a natural partner to organizations and companies, many of which are part of Medical Alley. That are themselves seeking to advance the care of kids. So if you're interested in thinking about how to make kids care better, we're your go-to experts.
0: I, I could not think of a better mission to have or a better community to have it in. So I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate you taking some time to share the perspective, to get involved. And we're looking forward to working with you and the whole team.
1: We're looking forward to it as well. And I appreciate the opportunity, Frank. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And folks, that was the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure to check out org, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast fix.